This Sunday is the first of a new series that we will begin this summer called the ABCs of Faith. Terms that may be familiar to us from our early days or maybe new ones that we have heard that we need to spend time in because they beg us to pay attention to the meaning they have not only for our lives but for the world. You may have guessed it already. The word for this week is creation and all that God has created. Cy Montgomery and Wilson Menachie took four visitors from the radio show Living on Earth to meet her new friends, Bill and Octavia. When they arrived, Octavia instantly recognized them from the weeks that they had spent for in the past, and she hurried over to greet them. When Cy put her hands in the water, Octavia's arms rose to meet hers, embracing her with dozens of strong, sensitive, white little suction cups. Octavia is a Pacific giant octopus, one of the largest and strongest of all the octopi, and lives now at the New England Aquarium with her keeper, Bill. Cy and the team of visitors were mesmerized and enchanted with the spectacle of her color-changing skin, the sensation of her suckers, and the acrobats of her many arms. On the edge of the tank where they were, was a plastic bucket filled with fish that Wilson would occasionally feed over to Octavia while they played with her. And as they were playing, Wilson reached over for the bucket, only to realize that it was gone. No fewer than six people were watching. Three of those people had their arms in the tank, and Octavia had stolen the bucket from right out underneath their eyes. Wilson laughs to them and says, octopuses are phenomenally smart, aren't they? He's been working with them for nearly 20 years and has become an expert in keeping these intelligent creatures occupied. Otherwise, they do get bored and they'll begin to play practical jokes on you. Aquariums are designed to keep elaborate uh, escape-proof lids uh, because they often get thwarted and the octopus go missing and they find them in other tanks. Many aquariums give their octopuses Legos to dismantle, jars with lids to unscrew, and even Mr. Potato Heads to play with while they're there. We know that our brains have four different lobes. An octopus has 50 to 75 lobes, depending on how you count them. Most of our nerve cells are in our brains. Three-fifths of an octopus' nerves are actually in their arms. It's a wonder that we think so much alike, yet we're so different. We like learning new things. We like solving puzzles. We like meeting new friends. And even like Octavia, we love a good joke. When Octavia stole the bucket away, she hadn't eaten any of the fish, but they found it wrapped up in her webbing between her arms, and she was there hiding it for everyone. And I imagine if she could, that she had a smirk on her face and a little giggle in her belly, waiting for the bucket to be found. One of the guests that day turned and asked, so if an octopus is this smart, what other animals are out there that could be this smart that we don't think of as being sentient and having personalities and memories and all of those things that we enjoy? Our story in Genesis 1 begins with the opening line, in the beginning God created. But an alternate reading is also there to say when God began to create. The difference? There's been a long-standing tradition of the story beginning with nothingness. 
just an empty vast, and then God fathomed the whole earth and cosmos with a word. However, an alternate reading to say when God began to create, it also says that the earth was this formless void, and some scholars call it a watery chaos. Perhaps this watery chaos, this formless void, was already existing, and out of that, God began to create. And so God swept over the waters. And the word swept here may also just be hover or flutter or move. And I imagine like a movie scene where we kind of get a bird's eye view perspective of moving over the ocean and the seas just above the waves where there's no horizon, that that is what the Spirit of God looked like when she began to create. And then God spoke. Creation began with the words of God, because it's not just the snap of a finger or a blink of an eye in which God creates, but the poetry of creation revolves around language, around the phrase, let there be. And in that phrase, the relationship between God and God's creation begins. Walter Brueggemann, a well-known scholar, writes, the way of God with God's world is the way of language. God speaks something new that never was before. And so there was light, and it was good. And light was separated from darkness, and God named the light day, and named the darkness night. And we have evening, and we have morning, and for the first time, suddenly, there is a sense that out of the chaos, there is something like time, and something like order. And God continues to speak, and over the waters there was a dome called the sky, and a place where dry land can appear between the waters called earth, and where the waters gathered were given a name called the seas. I love the way that Carla Sumala, theologian and undergraduate professor, talks about the way in which she teaches this story to her new students. She says, when they're talking about creation, they wonder every year, they wrestle with the idea of a dome that goes over a water. Just how did that happen, they ask. And Carla started to tell her students, and think of God blowing a bubble. You remember the little bubbles that we used to play with as kids. You would open it up, and there was some soapy liquid in there that your mother told you not to drink because it tastes gross. And you dip the stick in there, and you get some liquid in it. And then you hold it up, and with your breath, you breathe into it and suddenly a bubble forms and floats throughout the sky. She says, once that bubble is in place, that is where life can develop, the arena in which creation can happen, and that's what God did when God formed the earth. There has been for centuries a temptation to take the creation story and make it historical fact, as if this were exactly the way that God created the world. And any other story you hear is heresy, and it's wrong. If we take a reading of the first few chapters of Genesis beyond what we read today, we will quickly realize that even the generations of Israelites who passed down these stories had two versions of God's creation. This may be the first story we hear in the Bible, but it is not only the first creation story. In fact, we've learned that there are remarkable parallels from Jewish stories of creation and stories from the ancient Near East. This text relates to an old standing tradition of people trying to answer the timeless question 
of how and why God created the earth. But the Israelites who eventually wrote down this story weren't too concerned with the method of how God created. Rather, they wanted to proclaim the will and dream that God had for creating. As a people, in the 6th century of the Common Era, they were living in exile. Babylonian powers have taken over the lands, kicked them out, and began to intellectually dismantle the power and meaning of Israel's being God's people. But in the middle of exile, Israel began to dream again, thinking a new thought, and wondering just how they could proclaim again that Yahweh is still God, and a God who watches over creation and will bring it about to well-being. But it's not enough to fall into the temptation either of just saying that the story is a myth. It's so much more. For a people experiencing destruction, despair, homelessness, they use their faithful imagination. And with everything they know about the life around them, they let their faith seek understanding and make the most marvelous proclamation that God is still a God who is in the business of bringing chaos and turning it into order. It's easy to miss the poetry and the lyrical beauty of the creation story when it comes familiar to us over the years. We can hear this story a hundred times and yet somehow miss one important thing. The first three days happen in one sweeping motion of God fluttering over the earth, God creating the light and the sky, the sea and the dry land become the actual very arena in which God continues to speak the existence of creatures. But it isn't just that God speaks them into existence. God creates the earth, the sky, the sea, and the land to be the very thing that continue to create and be with God. The next three days, God fills the empty spaces with inhabitants. We hear God speak, let the land produce vegetation and let the waters and land produce living creatures. I used to hear this story as a child in Sunday school, and I imagine God just kind of sitting above the earth with human-like fingers, pointing and creating and saying, suddenly here they were, the fish of the sea, and, and there's the birds of the air, and there's the animals that walk on land. But that's not exactly how the story goes, is it? God doesn't choose to do the creating alone in this story. God sets up an incredible system order out of chaos, potential for life to be birthed from the earth and from the sky and from the sea. God creates a dynamic, ever-evolving system of creation so that, just maybe, God can rest on the seventh day, see all that has happened, and God can say, it is very good. But did you know that bacteria can communicate with one another? I didn't know this. Imagine, if we will, a little bacteria, you know, the little microorganisms that we can only see in a microscope. They're, they're running around, and, and they're actually producing signaling molecules, chemicals, and it can be released and then bind to the another surface of a bacteria. And then that bacteria is triggered in a response when they receive the chemicals. It's a way of communication back and forth with them. But if just a few bacteria are in the area, they produce just enough molecule, but it doesn't exactly trigger a response from the ones around them. 
But when there's enough bacteria around them, there's a quorum, like a quorum of a meeting, then they can know when to produce and to be active and to work together. They have to have the right amount of number of other bacteria. And when that happens, suddenly they're able to coordinate their actions. They're able to produce a stronger effect. Scientists call them quorum-sensing bacteria. Little things, just communicating back and forth. Or have you ever heard of the tropical pitcher plant? I hadn't until this week. On the islands of Indonesia and Philippines, there lived nearly 150 different species of them. And they're some of the most magnificent plants that you can imagine. And they're also the most terrifying plants that you can imagine. Scientists have found monkeys drinking from them. They found rats uh, who have been partially digested in them. And they will eat just about anything that it can fit into its pouch of sticky sap. Lizards, termites, spiders, and worms, though they tend to prefer smaller insects. And they have a complex relationship with the world around them. No two are just alike in how they live amongst other creatures. One has been seen to evolve to host a colony of carpenter ants to clean up the leftovers from the larger carcasses that it eats, which, if lying around in the plant, would lead to horrible conditions for the plant since the carpenter ants are the very thing that keep it alive in harmony and in balance with one another. Some have even evolved into toilet bowls for tree shrews, I know, a little gross, but if you can imagine that providing a perch just big enough, an aroma just sweet enough to attract the shrews while they do their business. Because, well, let's face it, we all have to do our business somewhere, isn't that right? Creation is our very witness that God does never intend to do creating alone. When the earth fills itself with marvelous and amazing creatures, God then says, let us make humankind in our image. And so God imagined a valuable partner, people to inherit the earth and to care for all of God's creation. And we must be careful in our understanding of God's creation of us as people. We are not a part of God's creation to be the ones who have dominion as it reads in a way that exploits and rules over creation like a tyrant or an immoral king. We are the very people that God entrusts to care for, to be responsible for, and to ensure that every part of creation comes into its well-being, just as it was dreamt to be. Brueggemann writes, human beings cannot rest back and assume that God will take care of everything or the future is solely in God's hands. They are called not to pass passivity related to the earth, but to genuine engagement, the nature of which will have significant implications for the future of the environment. And we know too, all too well, the atrocities that we have done to God's creation. In the name of progress and development, we have displaced countless species of animals and put them on the brink of extinction. Our obsession and dependency on fossil fuels and oils have destroyed native lands across the planet because we value the profit of business over the well-being of God's earth. We are clearing lands and degrading them, changing the marine system by overfishing, and its direct impact is something that we cannot ignore. A latest study concluded that the world's 7.6 billion people represent just 0.01% of all living things. 
Yet since the dawn of civilization, humanity has caused the loss of 83% of all wild animals and nearly half of the plants. This is a time more than ever that we listen to those crying out for the health of our world along with God. People like Jane Goodall who recently said, every species has a role to play in the tapestry of life. And if we do not protect this biodiversity, if we continue over consuming and wasting natural resources, the tapestry will eventually fall apart. This series on the ABCs of faith is a fun way to get the opportunity to discover again in fresh ways what familiar words mean to us in our faith lives. When the outline came for what we'd be preaching on, the first week was left blank with my name. And I thought, wow, how do we kick this off? And then it came to me, creation, where it all begins in the Bible, when God creating. And I thought, yeah, that'll be easy. We'll talk about all of creation, God's creation, what we know and what we don't know, and I'll do it in about 15 minutes. And so I pulled down my theology books on creation and nature and environment and genesis from scholars and writers and academics, and I did internet searches on stories, and just within the first hour, I sat back and thought, oh boy, we only have 15 minutes to talk about creation, because the topics are endless, aren't they? Do we talk about the 8.7 million species that the natural world contains and that we only know how to describe just over 1 million of these? Just 14% of all that we have discovered, we actually have the language and the knowledge to be able to tell you what it is. That there are 7.7 .7 million animals, nearly 30,000 plants, and more than 650,000 other organisms and counting. We can talk about giant Pacific octopuses and strange plants and quorum-sensing bacteria and everything that inhabited the created world where there are millions of examples of the splendor and the beauty and the awe that is everything our planet creates and everything that we continue to discover. And then we can talk about the actual Earth magnetic field, iron and nickel that make up layers of the Earth's crust, and then there's this protective field of gases that make up the atmosphere, and there's nitrogen and oxygen and carbon dioxide, and there's water vapors and argon that nourish and protect life that we never see, but it's there, and then there's the water cycle, which has been way too active in Kansas City lately, and then there's nitrogen cycles. We can talk about atomic particles, quantum physics, the rise and fall of tides, the Earth's land and the way that it pushes against each other to form beautiful mountains and treacherous volcanoes. You see the list, it goes on and on. And creation is where theology, astronomy, chemistry, biology, philosophy, art all come together simply by God speaking the words, let there be.